0: Greetings and hello. Welcome back to the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. And today we're talking with Juliette Hooker. She's a professor of political science at Brown University. And her book is Theorizing Race in the Americas. Douglas, Sarmiento, Du Bois, and Vasconcelos. And so this is a really interesting book. She takes these, these four thinkers and really does a nice analysis of them. She pairs them together, Douglas and Sarmiento. Du Bois and Vasconcelos. So I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. And if you know anything about any of these four, you're definitely going to learn some different things that you may not have known before about how they are similar and different. So enjoy and give it a listen. This is James Stansel and welcome to the New Books Network, the African-American studies channel. And I have the great pleasure today of being here with the author of Theorizing Race in the Americas. Juliet Hooker. She is a professor of political science at Brown University. Hello. How are you doing today, Ms. Hooker, Dr. Hooker? I'm
1: great. Thank you. Really glad to be here with you.
0: It's my pleasure. And when I saw your book, I was like, man, this looks really, really interesting. I've got to get Juliet on the show so we can kind of talk about some of these things. So the members of our listening audience can really get more informed about the connections between the African-American scholars and the scholars in the um, Latin American world. Douglas and tell me if I pronounce any of these names wrong. I'm, not, I'm English is my language I'm best at. Douglas Sarmiento.
2: Yes. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: I'm all right. Du Bois, mm-hmm. I know that one. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. And Vasconcelos.
2: Vasconcelos.
0: Vasconcelos, right. That's the subtitle. So it's the book is Theorizing Race in the Americas. Douglas, Sarmiento, Du Bois and Vasconcelos. How was that? Perfect. Oh, yes, yes, awesome. It's been a while since I've taken Spanish, Juliet, but you know, I, I still I, I live in Houston, so I can do a little little something, something yeah. here and there. And your book is published by Oxford University Press. And I, I mentioned Houston because you, until this summer, were not too far down the road from me, right? You're an associate professor at University of Texas at Austin, but now you are a congratulations a full professor at Brown University. So congratulations to Dr. Hooker on that.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited. But, you know, I, it's also bittersweet in the sense that I spent many years, um, happy years, uh, at the University of Texas at Austin, mm-hmm. which is a great place to start my career. So.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a great school. And I wish you were still close by locally so we could, you know, chat it up, but that's, that's okay. The people at Brown University in Rhode Island will, are, are definitely uh, uh, very lucky to have you. Thank you. All right. So enough of, of those kind of things and those congratulatory things like that. But uh, let's kind of get into a little bit about your background, Juliet, before we kind of talk about the book, because the listeners like to know who are the people who write these books. It could be their next door neighbor, right, or their, their cousin, their Aunt Juliet. And so maybe if you don't mind, can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about your background and, and kind of what led you, or, you know, or piqued your interest in this particular topic for this book?
1: Sure. Um, So, I'm originally from Nicaragua. I grew up there. My whole family's from there. And we're from the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, which used to be a British colony. It was never colonized by the Spanish. That's why I have a, you know, kind of Anglo-sounding name rather than a traditional Spanish surname. Right. And um, it's also um, the place where you have black people Mm -hmm. in Nicaragua. And so I, I come from a, um, one of those groups of um, communities of um, people of African descent from Nicaragua. And we, you know, have the experience of, you know, not really being recognized as really existing because people don't think mm-hmm. they're black people in many countries in Latin America, or it's not something that people acknowledge. So, um, so I think one of the, the things that happened for me is, You know, so I grew up in Nicaragua, you know, like a lot of people there. Um, I had family who had moved to the U.S., and eventually I came to the U.S. to go to college and then stayed for grad school and then got a job, so stayed for that. So in my own history, I had this experience of migration and also of, you know, traveling and seeing how ideas are different in um, one place than they are in another, but mm-hmm. also in the connections, right? And seeing right. the connections between um, Black people in different parts of the Americas. Right. So, um, you know, I my first book um, was on the, the kinds of rights that people um, of African descent have won in Latin America in mm-hmm. the past um, 20 years. And then I became interested in the fact that um, there's this way in which we tend to not see um, Latin American and U.S. ideas about race mm-hmm. as actually being conversation, right? We see them as people have this kind of idea of, you know, um, the U.S. has the black-white binary and it has the one-drop rule mm-hmm. and, um, and it had, right, very, um, you know, sort of clear, Uh, institutionalized legal um, segregation, Mm. things like that. Latin America had a different history, right? There's more acknowledgement of mixture historically. There wasn't um, legal in in most countries, not Mm. at all. There wasn't legal segregation, but you still have the same kind of um, racial inequalities that you see in the U.S. and you still have racism. So, But because of these differences, people tend to forget that there is actually a lot of connection and a lot of ways in which um, ideas about race in Latin America and in the U.S. Mm -hmm. were shaped in conversation or in dialogue with, you know, with that, what I call in the book, that American other, right? Mm -hmm. So either the U.S. for the Latin Americans or Latin America the African-American thinkers like Frederick Douglass and W.B. Du Bois that I talk about in the right, book. Absolutely. So that was part of you know, what drew me to um, to this is trying to say well, let's go back and look and see. Are mm-hmm. these ideas really that different or were people really trying to, you know, or is there really more, were there more links and connections mm-hmm. than we usually acknowledge?
0: Wow, yeah. And it's really interesting and you know, it was Really, you know, my first time, you know, seeing the connections between these Latin American, you know, you know, writers and scholars and, you know, Douglas and Du Bois. You know, I've kind of studied some of them separately, but you know, mm-hmm. you, you really did a good job kind of making those connections and looking at, you know, those, those similarities. And, you know, we talked a little bit about offline about the whole idea of the, uh, you know, African diaspora and the, and the different experiences. And you mm-hmm. live you live that. Um, you know you, you, yourself. I mean, it was a you know you know it was a part of your life. Well, just, well, I I did too, but you know for me it's different because you come from Nicaragua versus me coming <laughs> from um the United States. So yeah, absolutely, Julia. Thank you for sharing your your story and you know where your your interest springs from, you know in in this topic. And so going from that, maybe let's talk a little bit about you know the book and maybe some key points <laughs> or ideals. Um, that you would want a reader uh, to get out of it, or that someone who is maybe thinking about picking up your book, some things that they can look out for?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I think some of the main things that come out of the book are that there has been a lot more connection between Mm -hmm. the U.S. and Latin America than we tend to acknowledge, right? So. One of my favorite chapters in the book is the chapter on Frederick Douglass, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that it shows is even in the 19th century, right, when you have, it was so difficult to, uh, for people to travel, it took so much longer. We didn't have things like, you know, social media where you could immediately see what's going on in a different part of the world. African-Americans before the Civil War knew about black people in other parts of the Americas. They were looking to Central America and the Caribbean and the experiences of black populations there as models mm-hmm. for what they wanted, right? What freedom um, could look like, what um, political um, equality could look like. Right. Now, had a kind of romanticized view of these places, mm-hmm. right? wasn't, you know, but at the same time that they used those um, that vision of mm-hmm. what was possible, what they thought was possible, right, in Latin America to then say it's also possible in the U.S. Right. and to argue against slavery. So that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about you know, tracing this history mm-hmm. is seeing that even in times when we would have thought they weren't connections, or people weren't aware of each other. That people um, and um, and important figures like Douglas, whom we, you know, of course everybody knows Douglass and they know his story mm-hmm. as somebody escapes slavery, becomes this great orator, an abolitionist. But they don't know that Douglass wrote about Haiti, or mm-hmm. that he wrote about Central America, that he published things in his newspapers about these parts of the world, right? So. Part of what's interesting to me about, about the book, I think, is, is realizing that we almost think about um, African-Americans as more, um, more um, sort of focused on the U.S. than they are. We forget mm. that we've been making connections with, you know, people in the diaspora, but also looking to, beyond the U.S. Mm. at certain points, right, um, when they think about their political possibilities and aspirations.
0: Right, right. And if I'm not mistaken, um, wasn't Douglas the uh, ambassador to uh, Haiti at some point?
1: He was. In the 1890s, he was named ambassador to Haiti, and that was a really um, important moment um, in his career because mm-hmm. the U.S. was trying to negotiate the lease of this port Um that the Haitians, who, of course, has this very proud history, Haiti, of course, being the first, um, you know, uh, black republic, and the one where slaves rebelled and won their freedom Mm -hmm. at the same time as they won independence from France. Right. So um, Haiti has always been super important, and Douglas was, you know, always said this about Haiti, Mm -hmm. and so he's named an ambassador. You know, one of the things that he says is, I don't want us to try to treat the Haitians differently than we would if we're negotiating with France or Mm -hmm. Great Britain. We can't get them to agree Then we need to respect that rather than having the U.S. impose its own Mm -hmm.
0: power. Right.
1: Right. So he had this vision where the U.S. was going to have a kind of treat Latin American and Caribbean countries as equals, which didn't really you know, wasn't what the U.S., which at this point is trying to expand Mm -hmm. right? these points, um, and um, is a really high point of U.S. um, imperial expansion. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely.
2: Um,
1: So he ends up being, so the press, even though he wasn't, so then there's the other thing, which is that because he's black, Mm -hmm. Um, the people in the US think that he's too, um, he has too much sympathy mm. for the Haitians and he's not representing
2: mm. the of Right? And
1: then, yep. So there's this whole moment where the press, like, you know, all these negative articles about him come up and they're saying, you know, and, and they blame him even though he wasn't the lead negotiator. And then at the same time, for Caribbean, um, leaders and intellectuals, many of them were very critical of him because they thought he had basically sold out to the US.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> that he was just representing the interests mm. of the US for, out for for Haiti. And so it's this really interesting moment at the end of this his career where he becomes really disillusioned and um, and resigns. But then and this is this is where I end the chapter on Douglas and the book, mm-hmm. The Haitians, there's a, a World's Fair, World's Columbian Exposition um, in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and um, the Haitians get are able to have an exhibit, and they asked Douglas to put together the Haitian exhibit, mm-hmm. So, Douglas puts together the Haitian exhibit, and the interesting thing about it is that African Americans were excluded from the U.S. exhibit Mm -hmm. because it's supposed to show, um, basically, it was really racist in the way it was designed. So, it was supposed to show the um, progress from, you know, the savage Mm -hmm. people to the very civilized. Mm. at the top of civilized so they couldn't have black people in their exhibit so what Douglas was able to do is he was able to showcase all of these um, famous African American artists um, he had poets like um, Paul um, Lawrence Dunbar he had I.D. Wells mm. he was able to showcase African American accomplishment in the Haitian exhibit
0: <laughs> wow yeah, and that's that's something else, and it's really a, you know a, a sad statement about where we were as a country at that time. <laughs> but it speaks of the ingenuity of one of our greatest <laughs> African American leaders.
2: Right.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: So those are the kind of things that you can read about and learn about in Juliet's book, theorizing race in the Americas. Douglas, Sarmiento, Du Bois, and I'll try it one more time, Juliet. Mm-hmm. Vasconcelos.
2: Celos. Ah,
0: almost. Vascon <laughs> Vasconcelos. Right, and so hey. we're here with, so we're here. Well, I can say it after you say it. <laughs> so we're here with Juliet Hooker, a professor of political science at Brown University, formerly of the University of Texas at Austin. So she was a Texan for a period of time, and she loved her time as a Texan. But we are so sad that she had to go we understand she had to go to advance her career so we certainly understand that the theorizing race in the americas so before we talk about some of the you know the, the other subjects and topics in in your book i really love this cover juliet so can you yeah. tell us a little bit about this cover image and and why you chose it or the publishers chose it for the book
1: yeah, so the cover cover image is actually an illustration um, from a collection of hand drawn maps and illustrations that mm-hmm. Du Bois uh-huh. um, commissioned for um, the exhibit on the Negro mm-hmm. um, that he put together for the Paris World's Fair. Okay. Um, and so there's a whole set of really. I mean, they're beautiful images mm-hmm. um, on graphs and charts, but they all have this kind of modernist look
2: to them. Right? You
1: know, because it was um, um, of the time in the in the in the 1920s. That was the sort of graphic um, kind of style, mm-hmm. and so um, this map is a map of the distribution of the Negro race, right? Mm. And it's. Um, And what I liked about it, the reason we chose this image is because it shows, right, the Americas Mm -hmm. in one globe, and then it's got Africa in the other, Mm -hmm. and then you have to find the connection. Oh, yeah. You see the U.S. and Latin America, it kind of gave this idea of the the sort of hemispheric, you know, connection Mm -hmm. between people that the book is really about, um, and also, of course, it was um, commissioned by Du Bois who's one of the people that I write about in the book. Mm-hmm. So it
0: seemed uh, very appropriate. Uh, I would agree. And it's a, it's a great cover image. And Juliet did a great job describing that image. Um, but if you you know, are, are, are visual and you couldn't kind of see what she was describing, you can go to our blog page, our blog post for this podcast um, on the uh, New Books Network, on the New Books and African-American Studies page. And you can see the beautiful image of the cover and you can see Juliet and um, you won't see me, but you can see Juliet and her book cover and you can click through from our blog page there and you can purchase a copy of uh, Juliet's book from our book selling partner. Right. And so you can read the description about the book and go right through and purchase it. And there's also links up there for Juliet's page, um, you know, with the publisher as well as at her university. I'm sorry, Julie, I think you were going to say something. Go ahead.
1: I just wanted people to know that these all of the images um, that Du Bois commissioned for right. the, the Paris exhibit are available at the Library of Congress. So uh-huh. if you go to the Library of Congress website, you can see all of, all of those images.
0: Absolutely. So you can go right to that, that website and you can see them. Thank you for mentioning that, Juliet, because it's really good for people to know and, and that these resources are available. Right mm-hmm. and and that they 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 have access to right, so you told us a little bit about Douglas can you you know maybe talk about maybe uh some of the you know the other scholars that maybe mm-hmm. in the United States we may not be as familiar with, but who are definitely I can tell you very interesting that you wrote about here
1: yeah, so the the structure of the book is it's divided into two parts, and mm-hmm. so each part is um has two chapters, one on a U.S. thinker, and the Mm -hmm. other on a Latin American thinker. And Mm -hmm. the idea is that what we're getting is by putting, you know, you can read each chapter by itself, but Mm it works if you read Mm -hmm. it with its companion, right? Because what you're getting is is that each of these figures, they were roughly contemporaries. Mm
2: -hmm. So Douglas is
1: paired with this famous um, Argentinian statesman and uh, intellectual Domingo Faustino Sarmiento. Um, is his full name and he was um, you know uh, uh, like Douglas interestingly I mean you when you think about these two figures you would say looking at it oh these are very different people Douglas is the ex-slave right Um, fugitive slave um, and Sarmiento was a you know very elite um, Argentinian somebody who is you know basically white, mm-hmm. you know, and a and, and, and very elite person. But he was also a journalist like Douglas. He also founded a number of newspapers. He mm-hmm. was also a diplomat. He was um, named ambassador of Argentina um, to the U.S. during mm-hmm. the, uh, the post-Civil War, during mean, the Reconstruction era, when they were trying to um, really uh, implement all of the... Um, the measure is to try to really um, change the South and mm-hmm. make it more more equal and so um and he rose to become president of argentina um, and Sarmiento is actually seen um, as one of the Latin American thinkers who's seen as actually um, fairly racist to be mm. quite honest he was very racist against in particular, um, indigenous people, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, so he, he had very racist views of um, the native population in, um, in Latin America. But ironically, he actually had a much more um, positive view of black people. Okay. Black population in Argentina, um, in part because he had these ideas of the city is being more civilized than the countryside and okay. the black population lived in the city mm-hmm. and so he saw them as more more advanced. But what I write about in the book is the fact that um, Sarmiento is um, is usually seen as a Latin American thinker who was one of these people who thought that the way for Latin America to develop was to imitate Europe,
2: okay. right, to be
1: European to leave aside all of its American influences and try to become like Europe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is based on the first book he wrote, which was published in 1845, which coincidentally is the same year that Douglass also publishes his first book, The Narrative of Life Frederick Douglass, also 1845. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they were contemporaries, right? So they were writing at the same time. I didn't find any evidence that they necessarily knew each other,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but when, but when um, Sarmiento comes to the U.S., he is actually um, involved there are all these sort of Freedmen Age Societies, mm-hmm. these societies that were created to help the freed ex-slaves in the South, that were right. found in schools, right, and doing all of this work. And he actually attended some of the meetings of the Freedmen Age Society in New York, and he was very interested in the work that they were doing building schools in the south because he saw it as a model for how argentina Uh its own public education right so what i write about in the chapter on him is how how interesting it is that this figure right comes to um the u.s during reconstruction and takes away this idea that you can create this public education system
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and and really models that on um, some of the changes that are happening in the South. Okay. And this has been something that, so basically my argument around him is that what hasn't been recognized by most of the scholarship is how much he was influenced by the U.S. Okay. Right? So instead of actually it being about him wanting Latin America to be like Europe, he's really he then sees the U.S. as a model. But then, when the U.S. begins again in that period, um, and, and the, towards the end of the 19th century, mm-hmm. you know, after the Spanish-American War, when the U.S. begins to try to acquire, you know, territory
2: mm-hmm. in and Latin America, America,
1: right? Mexico, what's now Texas, right? <laughs> Another territory, territories, the Latin Americans begin to be very concerned about the U.S. Because they're like, where are they going to stop? Are they going to take us all over? Are we going to lose our identity? And so he begins to be much more critical of the U.S. and to be much more concerned about what the dangers of U.S. expansionism are mm. for America. Wow. Um, so I write about those tensions in the chapter on him in the book.
0: All right. Well, I can definitely see why you pair up Douglas with Sarmiento, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so again, these are the these are the types of, of of ideals and connections and and great research that Juliet did in her book. Um, and I definitely you know recommend it. You may know a little bit about Douglas and Du Bois or even uh, these uh, Spanish speaking scholars, but have you seen the comparison, the connections, and things that Juliet has has worked on and worked through in her book? So great job, Juliet! It's really interesting to hear you talk about these things. I'm sure our audience is really interested in it as as well. And the name of that book, Theorizing Race in the Americas. I'm going to try it again, Juliet. Let's see if I can. (laughs) Douglas, Sarmiento, Du Bois and Vasconcelos.
1: Yay, there you go. Got it.
0: Vasconcelos with Juliet Hooker. She's the professor of a professor of political science at Brown University. Right. And a native of uh, Nicaragua. So she does have some um, some experiences um, with, you know, th- this part of the world that she writes about as well, both of them. And in uh, America's in total. Right. North America and uh, Latin America. Very good. So we know about Douglas. You've told us a little about Sarmiento. I think many people know about the great scholar W.E.B. Du Bois. So if you want to talk about him a little bit, you can, or, you know, please definitely uh, mention him within the context of Vasconcelos, whom you write about towards the end, right?
1: Uh, So the second pairing in the book is between Du Bois and Vasconcelos, who are both um, also contemporaries, right? Right. Both um, uh, uh, born at the end of the 19th century and then go on to have these long careers in the first half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And what I write about in, in both of those chapters is actually how, at this point, particularly because my focus in my chapters on them are on their writings, both of their writings from the 1920s and okay. 1950s And what's interesting to me is how at this time, early in the 20th century, right, and this is before, of course, you have decolonization in mm-hmm. Africa. Right. You know, so Africa is still a colony. You don't, you know what, we know of as the third world, right, you know, that um, doesn't really exist yet mm-hmm. as such because, um, you know, Southeast Asia isn't independent, Africa isn't independent, right? So all of these, Latin America is independent, um, but you don't have this kind of sense of, of, of you know, this idea you have all of these. Places that were formerly colonies where you have mostly people of color and that they have something in common because of a kind of anti-colonial, right, mm-hmm. um, a desire to, to, they became independent by um, becoming free from European control. Um, right. so, so, what I write about in, the, in both of those chapters is how for both Du Bois and Vasconcelos, they talk about this idea of racial mixture, racial mixing, mm-hmm. as a metaphor for thinking about how um, how people of color in different parts of the world can make common cause, can mm. become allies in this anti-colonial struggle. And they do it in very different ways. So I talk about them as, as, as examples of these kind of mixed race ideologies where they see mixture as something that's associated with the future, right? Mm-hmm. That that world is moving, and they see it as something that can, um, that for them is um, is an exact, is a way of thinking about what I consider to be these political alliances okay. that they want to, see, right? Now there are problems with this, of course, and um, because you know people can. You know, certainly mixture, as they as Du Bois in particular acknowledged, you know, one of the things that he talks about is how, you know, mixing had happened essentially because of a race and, mm-hmm. um, you know, violation of of, um, of non-white women. And so, you know, it's not to glorify it, but what's interesting to me is, is, um, is how these, you know, in their writings from this time, this is such a persistent theme. Mm-hmm. So... And this is something that is unusual because people don't write about this, think about this as something that Du Bois wrote about, right? Mm-hmm. We, think, when we think about Du Bois and we think about the souls of black folk. Right. And we think about, you know.
0: Philadelphia Negro. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, or the Conservation of Races essay, right. when he calls for black institutions. Um, but what I focused on is in the 1920s, there was this, you know, that's the time when you have the there, people are really trying to re to legalize segregation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's interesting to think about because of the current controversy with the Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. Right. People that these were put up right after the Civil War, but mm-hmm. in fact, most of them are put up in the 1920s and 1930s mm-hmm. when every, you know, the U.S. was really trying to struggle during
0: those Jim Crow years, right?
1: Jim Crow. And it's the height of lynching and racial terror, right? Mm-hmm. Immigration. And of trying to put in these immigration bans, right? Against people from Latin America, against Asians, Chinese. Um, so you have all of these these various policies that are trying to, to keep the U.S. white, right? And keep people from, from mixing. And one of them is that they're trying to put in these... Um, these bans on interracial marriage, mm-hmm. right, trying to prevent people from marrying across racial lines. And so the boys on the NAACP, which had just been formed in 1909, um, they start fighting against these these uh, these bans because, not because they say, not because we want to be marrying white women. Sounds, because, of course, it's always black men and white women that people are, are somehow most worried about. Right. Um, and so, um, he says, but because it's a basic right that you should be able to marry whoever you want to marry that wants to marry you, right? And so part of what I write about in the chapter is how on the one hand, you have these, um, this public policy fight in the U S right around whether to people are going to be able to marry across racial lines mm-hmm. and how that comes bound up with with um you know with these other fights about segregation, about trying to maintain racial purity, etc. So that mixture, this idea of mixture, even if it was just, you know, not the fact itself, but the idea, becomes a stand-in for the possibility of you know, of political equality, of not, of moving beyond Jim Crow, mm-hmm. etc. And I focus in particular on a novel of his. Um, this is really fascinating. So he wrote some novels. One of them is this novel called Dark Princess. Mm-hmm. And it is about this Indian woman, this Indian princess, I mean, from India. Okay. And... He has a romance with this African-American man um, from the U.S., and this is the story of how they lead this global anti-colonial revolution of the, he has this idea of the, the council of the darker peoples of the world <laughs> for settling in Japan and Egypt, um, uh, in the U.S., um, to overthrow um, white supremacy. Hmm. Um, so I, that's one of the things that I write about in that chapter.
0: Ah, that sounds like a a movie plot there or something.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> I and mean, think about it. This came out in 1928. When this came out, the New York Times was just like, their review, they were just <laughs> high. They were like, what is Mr. Du Bois thinking? This is, you know, this is this is offensive on, on all kinds of levels, right? right? People just didn't know what to make of it. So, Wow. So... So it's really about these attempts by people at this time when you couldn't imagine so many things that we take for granted now, Mm. right? How do we imagine that future in this moment of racial violence and racial terror and anti-immigrant sentiment? How do we imagine a future Mm. beyond that?
0: And and in that section of the the book, as you mentioned, Du Bois is writing about similar things to what Vasconcelos is writing about as well, right? Can you talk a little bit about Vasconcelos?
1: Of course. So Vasconcelos is a Mexican um, intellectual. He um, was um, also very prominent, rose to become um, minister of education Mm -hmm. um, and ran for the presidency but lost. And he is known in Latin America as one of the people who um has um most uh you know as one of the people who has most um popularized this ideology of mestiza hair racial mixing. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he argued and this is you know one of the, the themes of the book mm-hmm. is that all these thinkers the African American thinkers in the U.S. and Latin Americans are all arguing against the scientific racist theories of the day that Mm. say that black people and Latin Americans are inferior because they're mixed or because they have black and indigenous populations. So um, according to these theories, right, it's only the Europeans and only northern Europeans who are the most advanced, the most... um, Uh, superior people. And so Latin American thinkers are also writing against these theories. And so Vasconcelos instead of, you know, he kind of turns this um, idea on its head and says, you know, instead of mixture being what makes us inferior, Mm -hmm. it makes us, in fact, superior, right? Mm -hmm. So he basically inverts it. And he says, he writes this book called The Cosmic Race, um, and um, basically argues that everybody in the world is becoming more mixed, and that the future is the development of this um, this mixed uh, race, cosmic race, that's going to bring together the best of of all of all people. Now, there are a number of problems with this. One of them being that you know he. Unlike the boys, who, you know, for example, did acknowledge that a lot of mixture had happened because of sexual violence. Sure, sure. sure. Um, Vasconcelos kind of tends to gloss over that, mm-hmm. you know, so he doesn't really acknowledge in many, in that text, he doesn't really, the text really kind of glorifies Latin America as this place where you don't have racism, because he's using that um, to make a contrast with the U.S., which he says is very racist, right? So one of the Hmm. things that affects is like an example of is the way in which for Latin Americans, the U.S. becomes, oh, we are not the U.S. Mm -hmm. They're racist, and we're better than them at this one thing, right? And so part of their, the way in which they try to fight back to or to resist, um, you know, U.S. imperialism is by making these arguments that they have a better mm. um right? And so the Vasconcellos is a really interesting example of that. But what I also write about in my chapter on him are, are some other texts of his which are not as, as read, read mm. as often, in which we actually see a kind of more radical or progressive, um, where he goes even further with the critique <laughs> of you know, of white supremacy and and of colonialism and actually critiques the way in which um, Latin Americans themselves have internalized these ideas. Okay. So in a, in a text that he published in the 1930s, which is really fascinating, he actually writes about Latinos in the U.S. and he says, these Latin American elites who think that there is no race, they think that until they cross the border. And then they realize that they've always been seen as inferior.
2: Mm.
1: That there's, and that they are not white, and nobody sees them as white. Mm-hmm. And, and so he has this whole basically argument for how, you know, Latin Americans need to stop trying to identify with whiteness and instead need to make common cause with the mm. that they're people of color. Wow. Um, so it's, it's
0: very interesting. I I would agree. <laughs> some some very interesting work that you've done here, Juliet. I mean, this is this is excellent. I mean, this is so enlightening for me. You know, knowing so much about Douglas and Du Bois, and just to see this comparison to these thinkers from the Spanish speaking world in the Americas, I, I think this is awesome. And again, the book is theorizing race in the Americas, Douglas Sarmiento. Uh, du Bois and van, Vasconcelos. How'd I do? Perfect. All right, I got, I'm, I'm better. Just a few <laughs> times, Juliet and I got, and we're here with um, Professor Juliet Hooker. She's a uh, professor of political science at Brown University. And uh, she wrote this book uh, that came to us from our friends at Oxford University Press. And so I'm, I'm hoping that everyone's enjoying this great knowledge that uh, Juliet is sharing with us. I mean, this is really interesting stuff. And, um, you know, before we go, I don't want to keep you all day, Juliet. I could we could I could talk with you about this stuff all day. We could keep some of that Starbucks and we can just, uh, you know, keep keep going. But I don't want to do that. I know you're probably getting ready for your small fall semester as well. right? Yes, yeah, exactly. your, your first one at Brown. So we want to make sure that you uh, leave a good impression on on those students. Um, but before we go, I just wanted to, you know, to, to ask you um, and I like to ask, you know, uh, the scholars that I talk with this. How long did the process take for you to complete this project, and what what type of research methods did you use? I think it's really important for people who maybe are up and coming scholars or people, just average person who's interested in conducting some research. Can you share that with us?
1: Well, um, it you know books take a long
2: time to right. write,
1: um, so and and this book in particular took a long time. Um, Actually, it didn't take that long, given given the amount of research that I had to do. But when I first had the idea around the idea for the book mm-hmm. in 2009 was when I started thinking about it. Okay. Um, but I didn't really have a chance to really dig down and, and just focus on research because of, of administrative work and other things I was doing mm-hmm. until, you know, a few years ago. So... Um, but what the re the reason that this was a um this book required a lot of work was because of all the you know one of the things that I I, I do in the book is I try to go beyond often when we read uh you know, certain figures, we only read one one book or we read their major So we know the narrative by Douglas or mm-hmm. we know um uh souls so of the black breakfast. folk. By du Bois or in the case of Sarmiento we know his most famous book which is Facundo, mm. um, Civilization or Barbarism but I, one of the things that I argue is that when we do that we restrict or view of some of these people right, Du Bois lives into his 80s, Sarmiento lives also these very long lives and their ideas change over time uh, right. so if we, we can look at something that somebody published when they were you know what, 28 and they go on to live until they're, you know there's, there's a whole there's decades of work that we're not taking into account. So part of it was trying to, to be really comprehensive in looking at the, the various periods. Um, and of course, nothing is completely exhausted. I mean, you could write books about a whole book on any of these people, and Absolutely. people have write multiple books on, on different aspects of their thought. But one of the things that made it very time-consuming was, trying to read comprehensively um, in their work on the area I was interested in. So one of the things that i clear about is this is a book about their ideas about race, not a book about their ideas on other subjects. So that, that limited what I was doing, but within that, I wanted to read from different times, different eras, writings from different eras. And in some cases, I had to go to um, unusual places to look for the material I was interested. So mm. for example, one of the things that I is, you know, the focus of my chapter on Douglas are his writings about the Caribbean and Central America. Mm-hmm. But those aren't found in his biographies, which is what mm-hmm. people usually write about. They're in his journalism. So I had to go to his newspapers to look at what Douglas actually published in his newspapers about Central America and Haiti and the Dominican Republic, right? So, so. So one of the things that um, I would say, one of my lessons learned from doing this book is that we we can be creative about the archive, mm. right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know. Some, sometimes finding a, th- you know, someone's ideas, it's not necessarily going to be in in the the place that we think that they are. So one of the things that I use, for example, be, um, in the chapter on Sarmiento, right, um, I actually look at his correspondence with some of his letters, because in them he talks about what he what happens when he comes to the U.S., when he's meeting, how that's changing his ideas about things, mm-hmm. and so he gives us insight into how his political thought evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also means you can look at different kinds of texts, right? So one of the things that I write about with Du Bois is is right i read a novel and i'm not Mm -hmm. reading it a literary critic because i'm not a literary (laughs) critic Um, it's what are the political ideas Mm -hmm. that we can take out of this piece of fiction that
0: du bois wrote absolutely wow well thank you for sharing that i mean it helps people to really understand what you need to do to be able to um you know conduct research you know, you know, a, a booklet, the a research study like you did here. I mean, it, it's not just going to those places that you would normally go. Those regular, uh, you know, kind of haunts. you got to dig a little deeper and look in some different places and really have a specific focus. And like you said, you know, it's very clear from the title of this book, theorizing race. You know, there are many other things you could talk about, but you really need to have a clear focus on what it is that you want to accomplish in order to do the best job and not kind of, uh, you know, uh, Veer off. I couldn't think of the word I was looking for. Veer off too broadly or too, too widely. All right. So thank you so much, Juliet, for, for for sharing that with us. And again, the book is Theorizing Race in the Americas. Douglas Sarmiento, Du Bois and Van Vasconcelos. And the author is Juliet Hooker from our friends at Oxford University Press. And, you know, thank you so much, Juliet. I don't want to hold you too much longer here. I mean, this has been great. You've really g- given us some good insight and, and and really made, in my view, your book really attractive for people to want to go out and, and pup, uh, purchase and learn more about. And remember, right from our new books in African-American studies page, you can click right through and you can purchase from our partner bookseller. You can purchase Juliet's book. But before we go, Juliet, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, if any of the uh, listeners want to reach out to you, you know, what would be an easier way for them to do that if they want to ask you some more questions or or find out, you know, more things that you're involved in, you know, maybe share us some of your current or future research or any other uh, productions that you uh, wanted to mention. And I will just mention for you your first book you mentioned earlier, but I will say the name for everyone is uh, Race and the Politics of Solidarity, right? Mm-hmm. That's Juliet's really first book. So if you want to read her book that she wrote before Theorizing Race in the Americas, you can read that one. It's, um, again, it's Race and the Politics of Solidarity. But yeah, definitely share with us uh, any future projects, current projects, or anything that you want to point our attention to.
1: Yeah. So if you know if anyone needs to reach me, I'm easily found through the Brown website. Just go to the Political Science Department, and my contact information is there. Excellent. Um, uh, Currently, I'm working. I've been working. um, You know, one of the things that happened was when I was writing this book. you know, the the world doesn't stop. No, and so in <laughs> the process of writing, for example, Ferguson happened. And while I was doing that, I was like, how can I be writing about the 19th century and this, you know, and the world is, is going up in flames and black people are being killed. So I ended up writing an essay about Black Lives Matter and the history of the civil rights movement and how that's been used to, to critique the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh. Um, and then... Um, and then, as I was finishing the book, of course, there was the the presidential election
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the the rise of of, uh, of Donald Trump. And so, I actually just published an essay that just came out in South Atlantic Quarterly called "Black Protest, White Grievance." That's about how this idea of white people as victims has become politicized mm. in the Obama and the Trump era. So, this is these are all part of a current project that I'm working on that's really trying to move to the sort of trying to figure out um, what where we are in in terms of racial politics in the U.S. right now and what it means for how, um, what, you know, for black political thought and black politics, which are the things that that I write about.
0: Wow. Well, those sound interesting. And if uh, they end up which I'm sure it will, based on what you're saying, ends up uh, matriculating together into a nice book project. You know, we want you back on the New Books Network, Juliet.
2: Well, I'd be happy to be back. It's probably going to take a while. But, you know,
0: (laughs) as we said, these aren't romance novels that you're writing. So it does it does take some time. Well, that's that's OK. Anytime that uh, you want to come and talk with us about one of your projects, you're always welcome. I do appreciate um, you spending some time with us today. And um, we're going to let you go here shortly and um, give you a chance to get ready for those new Brown students. And just let me say, all you Brown University students, you all be very nice to Dr. Hooker this semester. Okay, she's a very nice woman and I want you all to be nice to her and welcome her in at um, Brown University. We're going to miss her at University of Texas at Austin. So you treat her nicely. okay, at Brown University. So maybe some of your students will come in and say they, they listen to this podcast when they were kind of researching you a little bit, that would be pretty cool. All right. So again, the book is theorizing race in the Americas and the author is Juliet hooker. And thank you so much for spending time with us on the new books network Juliet. And if you can tell the audience goodbye, we'll let you go there, but oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no, I was just going to say, thank you. It's been, um, it's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you about the book and, and then to, um, reach out to your listeners. And it's, you know, Thing about being um, about uh, writing a book is you never know how it's going to be received. So whenever people are interested, that's the best um, response <laughs> that you can have. So I'm um, I'm really it's always a pleasure to be able to talk about the book. And um, thank you for uh, for um, having the having me on your on your podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I'm definitely interested. I've learned a, a lot more just in talking with you to, today. And hopefully we can talk a little further offline and. And I'm going to try to get her to Houston for a book talk. I'm, I'm, we're going to negotiate a little bit offline, but uh, don't worry about my people in H-Town. I'm going to try to see if I can get Dr. Hooker to come and do a book talk with us sometime to talk about her book, Theorizing Race in the Americas. All right. So we're going to let Juliet go. But yes, if you could say goodbye to the audience for us, Juliet.
1: Goodbye.
0: Yeah. Or uh, what do I, I don't know how you say that in Spanish, but uh, maybe it's for some Spanish uh, listeners there as well.
2: Okay, nos vemos, which right. even soon.
0: Yeah, Because uh, this will probably be on um, New Books and Latin American Studies too, uh, one of our sister channels Alright So we're going to let Juliet get ready to go to work At Brown University And we will see you all And hear you all next time God bless, peace and love And um, I'm out of here This is James Stansel, the host of the New Books and African American Studies Channel On the New Books Network Peace and love All right, we're back on the African-American studies channel of the New Books Network, New Books on African-American studies. I'm your host, James Stancil, and we just finished up a great interview with Juliet Hooker from Brown University, her book, Theorizing Race in the Americas. Hope you enjoyed uh, that interview. I mean, it's really some good information. This is really a, a great book, so I highly recommend going and check it out. And so we're going to wish uh, Juliet Hooker, our new friend there. A wonderful semester, her first one at Brown University as a full professor. So good luck, Dr. Hooker. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you hear you next time. Peace and love on the African-American studies channel of the New Books Network.